evening to everyone. Welcome again. You want to put this here, because yeah. if later is Mars, this yes. will be true. our last question and answer session. So I don't know if you have any inquiries you would like to present, any doubts? I would like to ask when we are reading the Holy Scriptures. And sometimes the examples which are described there, they actually have to be understood in the sense of uh, the um, context and also the to which person it has been given. But sometimes we understand this, this is also attraction for me. How we can make the difference. Okay, so <laughs> yes, we were speaking the other day about relative and absolute statements in scripture. And as, as it was said in the question, some uh, things are being said there according to what we call the Shakala Patra time, place and circumstance. So we should be, uh, if you will, intelligence to be able to detect what applies to me and what's not. And not only what, but if, if, if that applies to me, how, in which degree, It's not so, so easy as it seems. I open the book and whatever it says there, I have to take it literally. So there are levels of understanding of the scripture according to the level of one's adhikar or uh, eligibility. Generally we hear about three types of devotees. In very general terms. Of course, there are not only three types, there are so many between those three types. <laughs> and they are called Kanishta, Madhyam, and Uttam. It means like uh, no, novice, novice, intermediate, and superlative Vaishnava. But sometimes, Subcategories between them, like 
Kanishta, Kanishta, Kanishta Madhyam, Kanishta Nutam and so on. But let's stick with the three main categories. So it is said that there is a, a level of, of approaching scripture according to these three levels. And those levels are literal, interpretative and esoteric. So, so what, what does these three categories mean? Uh, literal means whatever I read, it's that, there's nothing else, copy-paste. <laughs> and it's very difficult because uh, the point is that we, generally Western culture, tends to have to, 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 to take things literally. And, and Indian thought and language is full of analogies and, inter- and parallels and, and symbolisms, symbolisms and like this. <laughs> so if you don't know how to separate between them, you can make a disaster in the name of scripture. So literal meaning is I take the, the quote, I do not consider context, and I repeat it. I do not consider what has been said before, what is, is, has been said after that. I do not consider which is the person who is receiving such un, such words or, or who is the person pronouncing that words or what is the particular circumstance in, in, the, in which that words are being pronounced. Just take them and most probably apply them totally out of context. <laughs> But maybe fully convinced this is what the Bhagavad Gita said, this is what Gurudev said, and so on. <laughs> As we were saying the other day, a text without context becomes a pretext. <laughs> It's a very delicate thing because you are taking something holy and trying to justify maybe unholy things in the name of the holiest. So, so such practitioners need uh, very close guidance from Guru. In order that they really understand properly what the scriptures say. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, I, as I said in the beginning, you cannot just take the book and, and get realizations. <laughs> and because of that, for example, Srila Prabhupada and other churches, there is a whole commentary tradition in our tradition. And there's not only the Bhagavad Gita, but Bhagavad Gita, the commentary of Baladev, Vishwanath, Bhaktivino, Prabhupada to the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. So we can really understand what's the original intention of the text. 
Така можем ли си да разбереме какво е, какво е оригиналното намерение на текста? And even that, there is a continual necessity of newer and newer commentaries. И съответно има и постоянно подновяващи се нужди на нови и нови, отново нови коментари. Because maybe the Bhagavad Gita, I'm taking that as an example, was written 5,000 years ago in a particular context. Анализимайки пример на Бхагавад Гита, тя е написана при 5000 години в конкретен контекст. We can't change that. But we will be reading and presenting the Bhagavad Gita to newer and newer contexts. In different and different times, with different mentalities and psychologies. With different language expressions. As we were speaking the other day in, the, in, in Sofia in the temple, regarding one, one of the many controversial verses of Bhagavad Gita, wherein in the Bulgarian translation it says, <laughs> ladies are stupid. So you read that and you say, well, <laughs> what was Krishna thinking about at that moment? <laughs> he got in some fight with Radharani and he said like that. <laughs> <laughs> but actually when you go to the English version, you don't find the word stupid there. So some detail. But it says less intelligence. It may sound close to stupid. <laughs> but when you go to, to, to the real meaning of the words and so many other considerations, grammatical considerations, you will actually realize it's never speaking about women being less intelligent. But again, from a literal perspective, you read that, oh, it is said like this, so you repeat in that same way. So because of this, new uh, updated commentaries are always required. Not only with updated language, but with updated insights. Because every member of Parampara should contribute with newer realization from themselves. It's some level of humility to say, I will only repeat word by word what my Guru Maharaj said, I, I, who am I to say something? But eventually you should learn to say more, to add, to say new things by the grace of your Guru. Some people will say, some followers of Prabhupada may say, you are only qualified if you say what Prabhupada said or less. <laughs> you could never say more than what he said. But actually, by his grace, one should be able to say more. Not because you are better than him, but by his grace you are able to add, continue adding 
Не защото ти си по-добър от него, а защото по негова милост ти можеш да продължиш да добавяш. So for example, in my personal case, as I said the devotees that day, I would personally not recommend Prabhupada's edition of Bhagavad Gita at this time. If you want to kill me, here I am. <laughs> not because I feel that's there's something wrong with that. But because I understand he was speaking to a particular audience at a particular time with a particular language. And all that is not applicable nowadays. It may seem too out of date, too out of context. And people may read that and get a bad impression about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. But preaching is the exact opposite of that, to give a good impression of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, I'm going into another topic that is connected with this. So, a, a literalist, or someone who only takes things literally, won't find the necessity of any adjustment. Just will be doing copy-pasting and being loyal to my parampara and just repeating what they did. Some type of parrot, like Seba. But not necessarily you are understanding that. Because if you understand that, you will be a parrot in another sense. You will be a parrot like Shukadev Goswami. Parrot can, can uh, bite a fruit and with its peak, peak you say, it will become, will make it sweeter. So you will be able to take something that someone has already said and by the grace of the parampara you will be able to increase, turn that ocean of insects into something more. Of course, not everyone may be ready for that. So those who are not yet ready may stay in the under the shelter of those who are already ready. <laughs> so the first, so again, the first type of the person is the kanista who takes a literal <coughs> approach to scripture. But imagine you take the book Bhagavad Gita and say, okay, Krishna is saying kill all your relatives. <laughs> so from a literal perspective, you may become a serial killer in the name of Bhagavad Gita. So Immediately you need the interpretative uh, approach. That means, no, actually this is not saying kill your relatives, <laughs> but the relatives seem, is, are, are representing something else. <laughs> no, they represent Arjuna's attachments, and even more interpretative, they are not representing Arjuna's attachment, but my attachment. 
И всъщност so. те представляват привързаността на Арджуна и даже още по-интерпретирано за нея на Арджуна и молитва. Дори има и нива на интерпретация на текста. So that will be a much more broad and healthy approach to scripture. And that's the attribute of the Madhyam Adhikari, the intermediate devotee. He develops uh, his own criteria. Uh, yeah, yeah, his own criteria for approaching scripture. But his own not in a separate independent way, but by the grace and connection of the Sadhguru. Но не по своя собствен интерпретиран начин, ами с милостта и с връзката на святите личности. But at the same time, is always struggling, if you will, or trying to harmonize different apparent contradictions in the scripture. Но Мадиамадикарите винаги се борят да всъщност да нагодят тези на пръв поглед противоречия в писанията. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Kanishtadikari won't do that. Може би един Kanishtadikari няма да го направи. He will take the, 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 the statement that he or she likes the most only. If I say to that person, Christian, the beginning of the Gita say follow your Dharma and the end say leave all Dharma. Maybe Kanisha will say, well, I'll pick the first one, I like that the most. <laughs> Рупа Госвами каза, you cannot do that. When you find two apparent contradictions in Shastra, you should be able to harmonize and not to pick the one that you like the most. Ти когато видиш две на пръв поглед различни противоречащи се стихове, ти трябва просто избираш този, който ти харесва и да се опиташ да ги хармонизираш. So that's an exercise that requires certain discerning, discernment, discerning. Така че това е определено упражнение, което трябва да има нагаждане, да имаш предвид някакви неща. And this is not a merely intellectual exercise. This is not merely an intellectual exercise. Това не е такова някакво просто интелектуално упражнение. Because scripture is not an intellectual affair. Защото всъщност писанията не са нещо интелектуално. It's trying to surrender to revelation. So by proper surrender and service to the persons who represent the scripture, they will acquire the proper discerning towards the different sections of the scripture. But if you don't have that attitude, maybe some controversy may come, some contradiction. Но ако ти нямаш правилното настроение, може да дойдат някакви противоречия. И ти казваш, не, 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 Instead of embracing that challenge, maybe you will just try to escape from that in a sentimental way. 
But as we yeah. said the other day, Krishna Das Kavira said, try to think as much as you can about these things. Do not be lazy. We also have a head, we should use it. <laughs> Intellect is a part of our subtle body, we should use it. As much as, as, you, as we use the, our physical body in service for Krishna, <clears throat> we should use and surrender our psychic body to Krishna. So that means try to use your intellect as much as you can. It's not that everything will depend on your intellect, but you have to use it as much as you can. <laughs> Till you reach, you reach that point that intellect will say, here I am, I cannot go further. <laughs> so you there understand no? there is something beyond that intellect is it's limited actually. So well, and the last example of the, the superlative devotee Uttamadikari has to do with an esoteric approach to the scripture. So what does it mean, an esoteric approach to scripture? It means he will take one verse that apparently saying something. Even on an interpretative level is saying something apparently. But he or she will find something much more deep. And you will say, how could he extract such meaning from there? <laughs> it's, it's not there, it's not there in the land. <laughs> But they have developed a vision to read between the lines, very different. For example, some very nice comment. Purport of Srila Sira Maras to Bhagavad Gita. And I won't enter into detail, it's too much. <laughs> But in many verses, he, could, he, was, he was reading Krishna's glorifying the gopis of Vrindavan here. But you read the verse and say, Where are the gopis? <laughs> but you read his purport and his development of, of the idea and you cannot but, but accept that? Dumbfounded. <laughs> Because he is reading the text but fully connected with the psychology and the spirit of the one who is speaking that. So, for example, Sriman will say, well, Krishna is now in Kurukshetra, but before the Bhagavad Gita, he met in Kurukshetra the Brajavasi some years ago, so that meeting uh, is turning his heart by remembering that man. Yeah. 
So, so many, so many layers of meaning start to appear by the by such vision. Very far from the literal interpretation of the text. <laughs> Actually, Srila Semaras was bab, uh, like named by his Guru Devs, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, Shastra Nipun, scriptural genius. This means that he may take whatever line of the scripture here, here and here and he will, will be able to catch and grasp the deepest essence there. Because of his deep knowledge of all the scriptures, but also because of his deep connection with the inner spirit of the scripture. So immediately he will connect with the inner spirit of what's being said there. Like his famous commentary to Brahma Gayatri. Almost 99.9% of the people in the world seen that mantra. That's for the Surya Dev Sangal. But in his meaning, Gayatri Mantrata Deepika, he ends and explaining, no, this is the glorifying Srimati Radharani. And again, you read line by line, word by word, say, where is Radharani here? But the scriptures say Krishna likes to speak in, in indirect terms. This is, this is called Paroksha Bad. It means when you have to speak about something very deep and very confidential, it's not so tasty to express that explicitly. But it will be more tasty if you say that in an implicit way. So only the ones ready for that will be able to catch that. The others will understand something else, but on their level. So in the scripture we find lots of these type of parokshavad. It seems that it says something, but actually saying something more. And something more. <laughs> so actually the way to, to properly approach scripture is strongly taking the hand of, of a realized sadhu. And if we are reading something that we don't know how to accommodate according to context or whatever, we may ask him here. And sometimes we may make some mistake and read something according to our... That happens in life, we cannot avoid it. <laughs> no necessity for neurosis or paranoia in that regard. <laughs> But but we should be open to that, not to know, to accept that 
there will be some context to consider here. Но трябва да сме отворени с това и да знаем, че тук ще има някакъв контекст, който трябва да разбравяме. Затова нашето изучаване на писанието трябва да бъде ръководено от святите личности. Не е така, че хващаме една книга, която най-ми паса от цвят и казваме, и от тук ще започна. Например, хващаме, това е Гита Говинда на Джая Дева Които описват извънбрачните, почти еротични взаимоотношения между разните лични. So you should know when to start, when to follow, when to finish. <laughs> so we should conduct our reading study with the blessings of the sadhu. Sadhu will bless. You can start with this book, continue with this. You can read this particular commentary to this book, you can hear this particular class from this particular sadhu about that book. And even, uh, even all those, those recommendations, you may come and share with me what you are understanding about that book. <laughs> so this will make confirm you are doing your homework properly. <laughs> and, you are, and, and you are not becoming a serial killer in the name of Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> and of course some doubts arise on the way of the study that should we should be able to properly present them. Because if you are properly embracing this path, some doubts will have to come. Because, I mean, we don't know everything about Krishna consciousness. <laughs> So doubts will come, but there will be those will be doubts that will nurture our faith. Krishna said Bhagavad Gita, go before the Guru and doubt. <laughs> In the sense of go before the Guru and ask questions humbly. That's a type of doubt. Not, not because you are doubting about the process, but you are not sure about how to understand this or that particular thing. So if your question is sincere, there will come an answer that will make that clear. So that's also a role of the Guru. I said the other day, yesterday, I don't know when, when already. The Guru's role is to take out of your comfort zone. And one way he's doing that is but making you doubt. In which sense? That you may come to the class thinking, I already know what's this and what's that, and he will speak in such a way that you will realize, oh, 
It's not a life, what, what I thought. В какъв смисъл ми отиваш на лекция и си кажеш, да, да, това ми е вече ясно и другото, но той така почва и ти говори, че така, о, аз това не го, не го бях разбрал. So you will start to doubt not about the process, but about your understanding of the process. Всъщност ти аз процеса, а така, аз това как си го разбрал този процес. And that healthy doubt will invite you to develop a broader understanding of the process. I'm broader and broader without limits. It is said that in Golok Brindavan, every single word that Radha and Krishna exchange within themselves has unlimited multifaceted meanings. So we should be ready for such an intensity. <laughs> so now we are here on the training stage trying to exercise all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are in the, the gym of the heart here. <laughs> But basically I would say that, no? I mean, that would be the answer. Okay. Ambrish. I have a question. Yeah. But you were there, Swami uh, Maharaj wrote this example. Uh, when you were here, when Swami Maharaj uh, said uh, about uh, the, the, the Madhu. 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 He said that Swami Gavin So now in English. He was asking about something that Swami Maharaj mentioned, this is story of Bhakti Daita Madhava Maharaj where he He mentioned that he was like looking at one picture of Mahaprabhu and he expressed that he was he liked so much that picture and then this sannyasi came and smashed him. You are enjoying that picture, you should be concerned about giving enjoyment to Mahaprabhu and so on and so forth. No? So the question was how to understand this idea because we see Mahaprabhu now in one sense we are enjoying his darshan, it's pleasurable to us, it's nice, but it should be at the on the on the Upside on the other side of the coin, <laughs> and we shouldn't be enjoying what's I did. Well, like this. Huh? I I shared some words about this idea of enjoyment, pleasure, and inspiration these days. Yeah. But it's important topic, so it's never enough to speak it again and again. <laughs> Uh, first of all, I would say each case is particular, 
Everything we say requires a context. So uh, I think the, the idea of the example that Swami Maharaj said was mainly to highlight the attitude this sannyasi had with the with the Madhava Maharaj. In the sense of taking him as his own brother and smashing him but in a confident way. And we see how he accepted that smashing and which was the result of that he became what he became. Once also a similar example was regarding Sila Sila Maharaj. Some devotees came to his ashram in Chaitanya Saraswat Mat. So they were coming from some parikram. So Sila Sila Maharaj said, Oh, do you want in pilgrimage to, I don't remember, Jagannath Puri? And they say, yes, we just returned from the Parikrana. Ah, okay, and, and he said, and did you enjoy the Parikrana? And they say, yes. <laughs> so you can anticipate the, 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 the answer. Nasir <laughs> say, a place of pilgrimage is not to be enjoyed. We should go there in a spirit of dedication. We should enter there in a spirit of worship. This is a place which is very land. It's very soil, it's to be worshipped by us. So, in that sense, one type of enjoyment was condemned. When you took the position of enjoyer and the other is enjoyed by me. We know what that means because we are here in the samsara. I won't explain that in detail. <laughs> On the other side, there is a, let's say, legal way of, of, of enjoying Krishna consciousness. As I, I quoted the other day, when Srila Prabhupada arrived to Western countries, one very humble American uh, interviewer asked him. I'm being sarcastic here. He asked him, What are you coming to teach to us? Like saying, We already know everything. Okay, okay. I will extend the, the, the answer. <laughs> so Prabhupada said, Well, actually, I came to teach you how to enjoy. Because you think you are enjoying and you are dedicating your whole life to the pursuit of enjoyment but you don't have the minimum idea of how to really enjoy it. I'm coming to teach you that. 
So he came to teach, uh, to teach us how to serve, how to surrender. And that we may understand there's the real enjoyment. No, real enjoyment is there when you are absorbed in giving enjoyment to the object of your, of your affection. But for that enjoyment to be permanent and, and really fulfilling, the object of your affection cannot be anyone from this world. So this is technically called Visaya Ashraya Visaya Alambana Vibhav. Which, which means Krishna is the perfect object of love. He's that person towards which we can direct all our tendencies of dedication and those tendencies will find perfect fulfillment. Try, try to do that same thing towards someone else, immediately we'll start to hear some anxiety. So basically we are not, we are not against enjoyment, we are in favor of understanding what's in, what enjoyment is. So there's one nice example also that mentioned Bhakti Pragyan Keshav Maharaj mentioned once. This is a nice but very heavy example. <laughs> he said, if you contemplate your Gurudev, And while contemplating your guru, you find so many nice qualities there. He's patient, tolerant, humble, he sings nicely. He has charisma. He sings nice Bengali songs. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But you do not appreciate his exclusive surrender to Krishna. Most probably you are satisfying your senses with your Guru's qualities. You say, oh, how nice were that this, how nice were that that, but that's not inspiring you some surrendering serving attitude. So in that way you will be exploiting your guru. Even though externally saying you are glorifying his attributes. It's, it's like in this world you say to someone I love you. Meanwhile that person is serving your purpose. When, I, when someone is there for giving you pleasure and, and serving you, oh, you are so dear to me. <laughs> But we shouldn't make the Guru an object of our... Uh, we, uh, we should make himself the object of our service. Or the opposite of that. We understood the idea. We shouldn't make him someone to serve us. <laughs> so he says, when you look at your guru, first you should see his main quality. 
когато гледаш гордото си, първо трябва да видиш най-важното качество. That quality which makes him a Bhaisna. That quality who, who will put all the other qualities in context. Sometimes there are 26 qualities mentioned of the devotee. But there is say that there's one quality that acts as Swarup Lakshan or, or the main attribute. And the other 25 are Tatasta Lakshan or like subsidiary attributes. So the main attribute is Krishna Ika Sharanam, his exclusive surrender to Krishna. Because you can find so many other people also being humble, tolerant, patient, and so many virtues are there. But that will be in one particular context. So what makes the Guru of the South special, especially special, is his close surrender to Krishna. Which implies that all his other qualities are surrendered to Krishna, are offered to him. And are a byproduct of that surrendering. So Keshav Maharaj said, if you do not see that surrender, most probably you will not be inspired to surrender yourself. So that will only remain a, a commercial exchange. I don't appreciate your surrender, I'm, I, I do not need, see the need for my surrender. You have some nice qualities, I glorify them, meanwhile I enjoy them. Ah, we have some nice time together. <laughs> In the context of exploitation. <laughs> so, so that's the point. I mean, if there is exploitation is one thing. But there is, if there is proper surrendering, you can perceive the beauty of the deity or whatever. And that perception will will give more surrender. <laughs> Because if I suddenly say, ah, nice Mahaprabhu, nice Mahaprabhu, nice Mahaprabhu, nice Mahaprabhu, I can be one hour saying the same. <laughs> But that's not taking you to increase your surrender, commitment, seva towards Mahaprabhu. What's the value of, of such appreciation of beauty? So that will be only an, an excuse for continued exploiting. So as Mara said before, you have to walk the talk. <laughs> so that point, no, regarding the story Swami Maharaj said, Uh, I, 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 I cannot say if Madhava Maharaj was really exploiting the picture of Mahaprabhu or not. <laughs> Most probably he wasn't because he was such a great soul. <laughs> uh, 
and maybe even that sannyasi who smashed him was in a lower position than Madhav Maharaj. I don't know, I don't know who was that sannyasi, so I don't want to conclude that. But the point was that even though Madhav Maharaj was or not enjoying that, the smashing was in a particular direction. And sometimes that can happen. Or sometimes the guru or the sadhu can say you something strongly. And maybe you are not doing that thing that he is preventing you about. No. Once I remember one, one sadhu, dear sadhu, he told me, Maras, I have to give you one important advice for you as a sannyas. He said, you should never allow to be alone with women and all this stuff, you know. And I was thinking, why he's saying that to me? I'm not doing that. <laughs> but anyway, that was a good advice. No. I'm not doing that, but who knows? I have to take care, and, all, and that advice is updated. In my, it's, it's okay for it to be there. So one says he smashed me for something I, I never did. <laughs> of course you can take that instruction in a more interpreted level and say, okay, I'm, I'm not associating, associating with, with women. But well, Raghuna Das Goswami said that the uncontrolled mind is like a prostitute. So actually I'm a cheater, I'm a sannyasi, but I'm still this team prostitute. Because I still am paying attention to my uncontrolled mind. Please don't put these words out of context. <laughs> I trust all of you. <laughs> so, no, every case is very specific, who knows the particular background, so... So you can continue taking Darshan Mahaprabhu. Yes. You said you don't recommend uh, reading the Bhagavad Gita of Srila Prabhupada to some people. Very good, to some people. What reading? Yeah. What reading uh, do you recommend? In this case, in the case of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, on the some people. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, actually, it depends which people. Because there may be different editions with different approaches. And for one person, one commentary will be the best, for another will be other. But again, I have nothing against Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita. 
Actually, if I'm here, it's because of Bhagavad, Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> the book came to me, I read it, I think, in one day, two days. My mind exploded and I was in the temple the next day. <laughs> As you may imagine, I have nothing against such books. <laughs> if I have something against that, I have something against myself being here now. <laughs> that wouldn't make sense. But 20 years have passed from that time. I know 50 years have passed from the time Prabhupada wrote. We are in the times, in, in times that time passes too fast. So 50 years of now is like 400 years of one century ago. <laughs> because so many things change so quickly now. So some constant updating is required in the presentation of the message. And of course our Guru's devs are having been always quite concerned about how to keep the message updated. <laughs> it's a whole art that requires lots of thinking. It's not that I just go with to the street with 20 Bhagavad Gita, you take it, and if you don't take oh, he had no mercy. No secret thing. So regarding recommended editions of Bhagavad Gita, Again, depend which which people. For for devotees, we could recommend so many of the ancient acharyas as well. But for newer people with contemporary psychology and language. Personally, because that's a personal opinion. The vision I will consider the most. Is that of Srila Tripurari Maharaj? Srila Tripurari Maharaj. My personal opinion. Of course, with this I'm not saying everyone should think like me. We also have the, 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 the birth edition of our Guru Maharaj, small. And also I think about that in a very introductory way. But it actually has no too many commentaries. So for some people it would be okay, no? But if someone wants to go deep into what's the meaning of each verse, I would recommend this edition. But also at the same, same time I, I feel the necessity of Newer, newer commentaries. <laughs> because again, for example, Tripurari Maharaj writes a very contemporary commentary in a very updated language, approaching nowadays uh, situations, dilemmas, or whatever. But actually he wrote that commentary already 20 years ago. <laughs> so again, 20 years, so many things happened. <laughs> so newer commentaries are required. And you should be qualified for writing them. <laughs> <laughs>
like what? Maybe not even one Vedic book, let's say, no? But no, or something like more Isupanishad. Little Krishna. Sorry? Little Krishna. <laughs> There are again new books being written, no? I mean, Guru Maharaj had written so many books in that regard, thinking about what can I give to a newcomer that is not speaking about Krishna directly. But also we should be able to speak about Krishna directly without being sectarian. And also I feel that in some devotees they are afraid of speaking about Krishna. Mm. And they make the best effort to hide Krishna as much as possible. <laughs> so people don't get to know that you are a Hare Krishna. But actually if you know how to properly present Krishna, there should be no problem at all. We should be to speak about Krishna from a new for a newcomer. And we should be able to speak about Krishna for a devotee with 20 years in the process. And all of them in the middle of both. Because all of them will need to hear about Krishna from different levels and perspectives. It's not that I learn one model discourse about Krishna and I repeat wherever I, I am. So we need to, to, to update our... Swamaraj was yesterday asking you, what's initiation? <laughs> he continued, no, yes, but what else? Yes, no, uh, uh, uh. So we are... Oh. So we start like to re recalculate our questions. Like the GPS when goes the wrong way or recalculating the wrong the, the <laughs> So again, I, I don't want here to promote my own idea of how to do things because I'm coming from a particular place of the planet. So each part, each country, it has different features. So those things should be properly adjusted by people who understand the local psychology and all that. There are countries where you can openly speak about God and religiosity and people will have a DNA for that. <laughs> there are countries where you have to be ultra-rational and intellectual and quote all the latest scientific contemporary discoveries and put the better knowledge in the context of that for them to take you a little bit seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so for each case, a, a different approach will, will be required. Not the same book, not the same class, not the same preaching. So we should mature and develop to understand the necessity for that. And not to think that there is a magical formula that I repeat and everyone becomes converted. No. <laughs>
Maybe little Krishna can help also. <laughs> <laughs> But for me the thing is to get to know the person. Huh? And try to establish some friendly relationship with the person and get to know their his her thoughts and needs and And from there you, you, you can go on with certain advices. But, but again, we should develop the criteria of knowing how to, to guide that, that person. Because not everyone needs the same. What is nurturing for some, for the other may be frustrating. And it doesn't only apply to newcomers, to devotees also. If I gave you a class, you all of you are practicing for some years, many of you for many years, and I just give you a class year after year, day after day. We are not the soul, we are spirit souls. Uh, we are not this body, we are spirit souls, and Krishna is the supreme personality of God. You have to chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Uh, Yes, all that is true. But you may feel the necessity for something else. Or maybe for saying all those things, but with a new language and in a deeper way. <laughs> That's an interesting challenge. Not only to speak about high topics, but also to speak about basic topics in a high way. Once this happened with one, with one disciple of Prabhupada, he heard Srila Siddha Maharaj He heard Srila Siddha Maharaj and became like, wow. So he tried like in a healthy way but to imitate him. <laughs> so he speaks like that, I will try to speak like that in my classes. But as you can imagine, he was not able to be Srila Siddha Maharaj. <laughs> so he went with another god brother of, of, of him and he asked one thing. This god brother knew Srila Siddha Maharaj much closely. So he said, I will, I'm, I'm totally fascinated by Silasir Maharaj's way of preaching. I would like to do that. How, how can I do that? Because he's speaking about such high topics at every moment, so I would like also to, to dive deep into that. And this devotee answered in a very interesting way. <laughs> The devotee now answers, and he said, Actually, Silas Emras does not speak about high topics. 
Ти казваш, всъщност живещите мъже ще ни говори върху висшите. Generally. But actually he speak about basic topics in a very high way. Of course, if he can, he can speak about such high topics. But generally he can take a very basic idea and go in deep and extract and expand in such a way. So we should be able to do that in our own hearts. So our practice does not remain mechanic. Does not remain copy-paste like. And of course for this we need the inspiration of the association and inspiration of people who is in that frequency. But yes, how to preach the proper way is a whole big topic. <laughs> what to do, what to do first, what to say after, which book, I mean, there's no an universal formula for that. But we should be open and sensitive to all the reaction of the people and what we consider the best and trying to make the proper adjustments. As, as Prabhupada himself made when he arrived to, to USA. He just arrived, he just landed into another planet. And there is one famous letter that Prabhupada sent once to one of his god brothers. When he, when he was in New York. We cannot imagine, but try to imagine. No? <laughs> Living all your life in India at that time and being part in Brindavan at that time. And <laughs> <laughs> suddenly landing in New York. Hippie era. A whole different planetary system. <laughs> so Prabhupada wrote once a letter to one of his god brothers. <laughs> oh, like, like a child, totally like astonished to what he was seeing on a new planet. <laughs> so he said, oh, here the lights are on during all night in the city. <laughs> it seems they never go to sleep here. <laughs> and every person has a car. And not only that, they drive the car themselves. <laughs> because in that time in India, only rich people could, would have a car. <laughs> and those people have a driver for the car. <laughs> they are relative details, but you see how he, how he astonished what where I am now. <laughs> so he was trying, trying to implant, implant, you say, a total different car culture and philosophy in another planet. <laughs> so he came with one idea, but on the way he was adjusting so much. Of course he never changed the philosophy in itself. But he made necessary adjustments according to place, time, circumstances. 
And he was able to be so successful. <laughs> so of course, we are not proper, and that this is not the same situation. But that criteria of being open to adjustment should be still updated. And it's not, not enough to say proud, but say it. <laughs> Actually, we should think what will Prabhupada be saying now? <laughs> the basic teachings he will repeat, of course. We still are the soul, Krishna is still the Supreme Personality of God. <laughs> but some other details, most probably he will be taking some other stance or approach. Okay, some ideas. <laughs> so, one more question and we finish. If you, if you have, no, we finish here. Una pregunta. Una pregunta. Una última. No, se calla. Sí. Yeah. Muy buen my question is about the relationship or the connection between the soul and the mind and the senses. We have said in some of the lectures that actually the mind and the senses they are static. They are matter. And actually the soul animates them. But often we say that actually we, in, uh, we please the senses and how the senses are actually pushing us. We express it in this way. Yeah. But they are static. Here, I'm not so sure if we can. Esoterically, in depth, if we can get, explain this. So, are the mind and senses alive or not? <laughs> well, as you, as you said before, both mind and senses are inert matter. We have gross matter and we have psychic matter. We were speaking about that, uh, I think, after lunch, I don't remember already. <laughs> in the car, in the pool, after lunch, six days. <laughs> and yes, sometimes we may express in certain terms. As I said the other day, sometimes we may say, oh, my mind is driving me crazy. Or I may say, oh, my, my stomach is killing me. But actually, there is no one there. There is not a person, person, personified stomach there. <laughs> or some ent living entity being my mind. It's, it's easy to, to, to understand it that way, so we may blame someone else. No. And make ourselves the victim. Even, even this extends to the to the to the idea of Maya. 
This is another topic where we will touch one minute only then. One minute, I promise. I don't know one minute of which planetary system, but it would mean one minute. <laughs> so we say, oh, Maya is trying to make me fall, and Maya is making me... No, we project some sort of Judeo-Christian, Satan-like idea of Maya. <laughs> Е, май ми запитва да ме накара това и да ме изнуди, да ме принуди. И проектираме някаква това идея. Сатаниската тя е на юдеите и християнската идея за сатаниската, как и всяка една такава енергия на Върховния, тя е всъщност подчинена и му служи на Него. Нали казва се в писанието, че Майя се срамува от своето служение, но някой трябва да направи. Sometimes people say, why we are in Maya? Why Krishna made us in such a way that we could only choose him? И ние казваме няма, защо сме в Майя? Защо Кришна е така да ги направи нещата, че ние само него да го изпочваме? But the point is that if you could only choose him, there is no choice at all. И въпросът е просто обаче, ако ти можеш само него да го избереш, нямаш да има никакъв избор. If I say to someone, you can choose to love me, and you immediately say, what's the other choice? There's no other. Имаш избор да ме обичаш. И той една пита, а какъв е другият избор, нали? Това няма никакъв избор. Ако няма втори избор, а ако няма избор, няма свободна воля. Ще бъдем така роботи. И това не звучи много очарователно. Някога страдам и казвам, защо страдам? Обвинявам Бога за това. Gave you free will and you choose wrongly and you are suffering. You want your free will to be retired? И примерно, Господ ти казва, хубаво, нали? Ти страдаш, нали? Имаш изправство и свободна си воля, какво искаш да си махнеш свободната воля. Нямаш повече индивидуалност, нямаш свободна воля, няма страдания и ти самия вече те няма, теб самия. И аз си кажа, а, не, върни ме обратно индивидуалността, включително със страданието. Любовта всъщност трябва да има свобода на избор. И всъщност свободата на избора си вноси със себе си и риск, професионален риск. Може да избереш правилната посока или пък не и да страдаш от това. И като някой попита, аз защо страдам? И отговор е, защото Господ е обича. Той ти е дал 
Той те обича, дава ти свободна воля, ти си направил грешен избор, затова страдаш, но в дъното на цялото това нещо е, че той те обича. So my ashakti is there to facilitate the illusory idea of living without loving God. Така че моя ашакти в дъното това е иллюзорната енергия, която улеснява това ти да разбереш, че трябва да обичаш Бога. So this is the point of one minute, not from here, planet Earth or some other place about this idea of Maya. But this regarding what we say, mind is killing me or is driving me crazy, we are just, this is the way of expressing things. But actually, the, the animating principle behind all is the soul. Но всъщност оживяващият принцип, който оживява всичко това и стои отзад, това е душата. Но всъщност преди да достигне сетивата и ума, филтъра през който душата преминава, това е фалшивото его. So that false ego, false sense of identity is what makes us misidentify everything. And from there we really may feel mind is someone or senses are whatever. We may connect them with the, with the soul in excess. И всъщност оттам нали, може да вкараме нали, идеята за сетивата, за ума, нали, че имат прекалено голяма роля или там сила. Но принципно говори, казвайки, всъщност съзнанието никога не докосва материята. Те никога не могат по никакъв начин да се сместят, както водата и огото не може да ги миксираш. So if now you feel, oh no, but ah, now I'm touching matter. Но ти кажеш, ето, а сега в момента пащам тази аж и докосвам материя. Actually, you are thinking you are touching because you are identified through your false ego with this body. You feel, I'm touching it. I feel it. Ти си помислиш това нещо, защото ти погрешно се идентифицираш заради фалшивото его с тази материя и това тяло. Си кажеш, ето, аз го усещам. As good people. But actually you, the soul, never enter in touch with glass. <laughs> Because there are two categorical parallel uh, substances. So you say, no, but that's going on, I feel it. Yes, you feel it by the grace of Maya Shakti. Who is creating that illusion because you wanted that. I mean, the natural outcome of, of wanting to be this at birth, uh, to wanting to be independent from God. Is you will start to have a totally anti-natural and illusory experience. Mm-hmm. It seems real, but it's not. So Maya Shakti is real. 
try to understand that illusion is real. Mm-hmm. But that thing that you perceive through illusion, that's not real. It's like a magician. He creates some whatever, pigeon or whatever. <laughs> and the pigeon is real, the magician is real. But how are you how you are seeing and perceiving that, that's not real. So he's creating an illusion. They are called in English and in Spanish illusionista. They are like from the agency of Maya Shakti. <laughs> so if one magician can make that wonderful trick. Ако, например, един иллюзионист може да направи някакво супер, този супер трик. Например, както Дейвид Копперфилд скри статуята на свободата или някакви други неща. Influence of Maya Shakti. <laughs> so what to speak about Maya Shakti itself? Because of that Krishna said, this illusory energy very difficult to overcome. So Krishna says very difficult to overcome, for us it's impossible to overcome. But there are two more lines in the verse. <laughs> there is a but. No, but if someone surrenders to me, that thing that is so almost impossible becomes so easy to overcome. Why? Because Krishna says, I'm beyond the gunas. And Maya Shakti is made of these three gunas. So the, 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 the trick to overcome Maya Shakti is to surrender to those who are beyond Maya Shakti. И тригът как да се преодолее Майя Шакти е да се отдадеш на ние, които са отвъд нея. И да поставиш себе си под подслона и влиянието на друг тип Шакти, енергия, която понякога наричаме Сварупа Шакти или Бхакти Шакти. Това е което Кришна казва в Гита. Махатманастумам Partam, sorry, Taibim Prakriti Masrita. The great souls, my devotees, are always under the influence of my divine nature. Krishna Kazva Vilikti Tushi Moita Predanis Viniki Putvianito Moita Povish Energia. So under that influence we will perceive things from a different perspective. There will be another type of illusion, but they will be created by Yoga Maya, very transcendental illusion. Like just so that not not being able to see Krishna is God, but He's my son. <laughs> so that type of illusion constitutes the highest reality. <laughs> so free will will means you you can. Free will means choosing under which type of illusion you will like to live. 
работното воля всъщност е да избереш чия иллюзия искаш да живееш. What we call Mahamaya here. Казвам, че тук е Mahamaya. Yoga Maya and the higher realm. А Yoga Maya в по-висшата сфера. So by the grace of Guru Goranga we are receiving that connection with the higher illusion, the higher reality. Така че с милостта на Йога Майя ние можем да получим тази иллюзия на по-висшата реалност. Thank you.